You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality, and Christian Miller, a national championship winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. Division opponent. They're a really, really good team. Um, they had a lot of momentum going on, and we just wanted to come out and play our, um, our best ball. And I think um, we chose the right time to do that. We were very efficient on both sides of the ball. Um, we scored early and often, and um, you know we just want to keep it going. We want to be consistent. What a great football game! And did Jalen Hurts look great? I mean, the first two possessions, boom, was this game over? I think it was. But uh, yeah, the Eagles. Pouncing on the Giants. Got to find out what the Millers think about that one. Uh, the final was 38-7. to Kansas City defeated Jacksonville 27-20. to Patrick Mahomes on one leg. And um, I want to ask Christian about uh, the high ankle sprain that Mahomes suffered. And will that affect him on Sunday evening against the Bengals. Christian is is more in tune with a situation like that, but I can give you my answer. Absolutely. High ankle sprains are tough to but deal you with. You know what? He Mahomes in the second half, he was a different player, right? I don't know what they shot him up with in the locker room. Uh, Toradol? Uh, is that the name of the drug? I don't know what it is. Uh, we used to just call it uh, cortisone or something. It's yeah. something a zone or something yeah. a doll. Or uh, something like cotton. I don't know. Um, but San Francisco defeated Dallas last night, nineteen to twelve. And then Jack I was Prescott just looked horrible. Yeah, and, and he took all the blame. But you know, he can take all the blame. The last what five or six games, he's looked awful. Yeah, he's thrown a pick in every each of the last seven games. Is, is this something? What is it? The last two years or three years that he's made ninety-five million dollars and he's won one playoff game. It's uh, that's got to be. Jerry Jones has got to be chewing through some leather, don't you think? Yeah. And then last night slash afternoon, early evening, I was privileged enough to be a part of the Bengals mayhem that exists every game at Buffalo Wild Wings. By the way, if they don't pick up our tab next time for the amount of publicity that B-Dub is getting from the Bengals fan club, um, I went there for the Super Bowl. Y'all were in another gear last night. Josh, well, all Josh three of us there. were there. Yeah. Uh, and then I ran into our good friend Carrie Essis, had great conversations, but and, uh, uh, kind of stood and, in the back and two, because and two of our listeners were there. Uh, 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 ga- uh, game, well, as ga- you said, both of our listeners were. <laughs> yeah, Game Day Robin, very, very, Game very, Day Robin, yeah. who knows more about football than I do, uh, and her her husband, who is a high school football coach for thirty one years. They they came down from Smith Lake and. Uh, Man, they fit right into the group, and uh, they're going to be there on Sunday. And, it's a uh, fun group, yeah. i got to tell you. And, and oh. you know how um, Zach Taylor has created this uh, tradition that after every playoff victory, he takes a game ball to different bars. Right. Well, the Bengals have won so many playoff games in the last few years, uh, last two years, that in, in he's kind of run out of ball, Bengal bars in Cincinnati, 
And so he now has said, I'm going to start giving game balls away to bars across the country where Bengals fans gather. Oh. So I'm buddies with uh, Dan Horde, who is the play-by-play announcer for the Bengals. And Dan gave me the email address of um, Elizabeth Blackburn, who is the daughter of Katie Blackburn, who owns the team and essentially runs the team now. Uh, from She's the daughter of uh, Mike Brown. But uh, Elizabeth runs the uh, social media aspect of all things Cincinnati Bengals. And so I um, sent, so Dan uh, warned Elizabeth that I would be sending her an email. And I sent her a long email detailing why the Buffalo Wild Wings on 280. And we call ourselves the Bengals Corner. We have a sign that says Bengals Corner. Um, and by <laughs> whoever whoever created that sign, I think that maybe one too many uh, fireballs, and they left the sign. <laughs> it's still up there right now. They oh. left it there. Hopefully, it won't be defaced by a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. But anyway, I think we're in the running to get a game I would ball. Certainly hope so. And if we get that game ball, Buffalo Wild Wings better. Never charge us for any drink well, ever again. There'll certainly be a story. Al.com will do something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Other radio and television stations will do stories on it. And uh, you know, I've been a Buffalo Wild Wings guy for a long time. Yeah, um, worked at some stations that had what we love and call trade. And so I've had it virtually everything on their menu. But they're really good to y'all. They are. But they. Take care of everybody else too, and that place was pretty much packed. Yeah, uh, at least on that side. But it's it's, it, it's crazy to watching it with this this group of people who we all have just sort of met randomly uh, through our love of the Bengals. We come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. We come from different states. We have different political beliefs. But man, the one thing that binds us together is our love for the Bengals and not just that we're not there just to socialize we pay attention to every oh, single sure? play it, and, 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 and they give high and, fives and, on two-yard games it, it feels like it feels like you're at the game when you're watching it with these guys and it, it is so much fun it, it seriously matt it's the highlight of my week. i understand why it is uh i was uh i was somewhat silent i know no you, yeah, it. no that was awesome yeah, like, you, kind of a, you just stood in the back and observed I did, and observed it and loved it and i uh, talked with your friend brett for quite some time big yeah. nascar guy uh by the way we'll be doing something with him later <laughs> um but uh the, i couldn't say this last night i, I was pulling for the bills <laughs> no, you couldn't say that last I, night. I didn't say that. Uh, I was very, very careful. Um, and I, it's not like I was pulling for my Packers. I just, you know, kind of uh, always kind of felt sorry for the Bills. But you know what? He also felt sorry for the Bengals. They hadn't won a Super Bowl either. But anyway. Joe Christian, Burrow was pure magic. Uh, oh, I was listening to something or reading something earlier this morning, and they just flat out said, man, he is fun to watch. And he is. Uh, let's bring up Christian Miller from our flagship station over in Tuscaloosa. That's uh, tied 100.9. Christian, uh, let's start where we did. 
We heard from Jalen Hurts at the top. If you want to touch on Jalen Hurts' performance, please do. Just your overall observations on the four games this past weekend. Well, where do you want me to start? You want me to start with Lars Bengals? <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. Later we'll oh, talk to Nebraska. Lord. Here, uh, oh, Lark it. Here you go. 1208, Nebraska. Former Nebraska coach uh, Zach Taylor is now, uh, I think he has the highest winning percentage of any coach in NFL history in the playoffs. And the player of the game for the Bengals was Cam Taylor Britt, a rookie corner from Nebraska who got his first interception and just – He's, he stepped right into being a number one corner. All right, Christian, take right, it away. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, let me just – all right, here, this is for Lars. He's going to love this. Uh, look, Joe Burrow was phenomenal, right? He, he came out there, um, and he, he was ready to play. I mean, from the first drive, you just – the Bengals just had their way. But you have to credit that offensive line. Now, I was a little skeptical because, again, when you're missing three guys on the offensive line, usually you're in trouble, right? Because those guys set the tone. They're your anchor. But if you watch this football game, man, they out physical the Bills defensive line tremendously. If you watch them in the running game, the Bills were just having their way. They could run the football. They could throw the football. Uh, excuse me, the Bengals. I'm sorry. The Bengals are just having their way against the Bills defense. And, and Joe Mixon is just a dynamic player. You know, you watch him catching the ball in the backfield. You know, he's running guys over. He can make guys miss. And, 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 and Hayden Hurst stepped up huge at the tight end position. And, again, yeah. the receiving core, we already know about those guys, Jamar Chase and uh, T. Higgins. Uh, I mean, they – man, they just – the Bills had no answer for that offense. And uh, a lot of credit to those guys. And uh, most importantly, Joe Burrow, you know, he's um, the head of, of, of that offense. And, man, he really had those guys ready to play. And, um, you, you know, I think another big factor was the fact that when they drove the ball down the field, they were putting it in for six points, not three points. That's huge because um, it separates, you know, that, that gap. And, and, and they just kept pulling away from the Bills. What, you about to say something? So, else? okay, two – yeah, sorry. I, I have two questions for you. Mm-hmm. One is uh, all three of those guys who are uh, starting – uh, for the injured players, they all their contracts, I believe, are up except Jackson Carmen. Uh, he was the le- starting left tackle, but he's he's fighting for a starting position next year because Jonah Williams. Uh, it, it, it's a the Bengals did I believe pick up his fifth year option, and I think this is his last year. So the Bengals need to like sign him to a long term contract or you know, move on from him. So he's kind of playing for a job. Adenije uh, at right tackle is also playing for a starting job next year uh, because Lael Collins is only on a one-year contract. And so I, I feel like these guys are really motivated, right? So th- that's number one. But number two, do you think the slick conditions kind of mitigated Buffalo's ability to use their speed off the edge because they just couldn't get as good a footing, right? I, again, I, I think he's told me you, you've never really played in snow, especially like that. And it, well, I didn't think it was it, it wasn't supposed to snow that much, but it you know it was a decent snowstorm. Although you know what we call a dusting in Alabama, they call that a dusting in Buffalo. Right. Um, but um, but but do you think the weather? And the slick conditions actually helped that offensive line. 
Uh, I, I mean, you know, that can be a factor. It definitely is going to be hard to bend the edge when um, you, you, your, your feet aren't sticking to the ground because of the snow and, and, and whatnot that's on the ground. Those those are factors. Um, but, but you have to think about it. I mean, the offense is going to be uh, hindered as well with the snow. I mean, receivers are going to have harder times, you know, getting in and out of breaks and, and, and cutting up field. But the, uh, their receivers found a way to, to play just fine. And that's what I'm I'm saying. I mean, you got to respect that offense because – Everybody thought, you know, the weather and, and them being on the road in Buffalo was going to be a huge obstacle for them, but they came out firing, and it was as if the snow wasn't even a factor for that that Bengals offense. So, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the stats. They had over 30 first downs, over 400 yards, and averaged over 5.5.8 yards per play, and that's with snow, right? So, they figured it out. They had the right cleats on. They had the right—I don't know—whatever they did, they 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 had the right answer, and. uh they honestly just played a really great game, and they deserved to win that game. I mean, you looked at Josh Allen; he just didn't. He just looked inconsistent, and um, you know, for some reason, it, it just seemed like the Bengals just had more of uh, of a fire to them in this football game. And again, if you just watch the the, the, the battle of the the, um, the line of scrimmage, I mean, the Bengals were just dominating the line of scrimmage, and that translated to them being able to run the football, which opened up their passing game, and Joe Burrow just went to work. So. They deserve to win that game, and uh, it's going to be a, a big game going against uh, Kansas City. We'll see how Patrick Mahomes fares with you know with that injury he has. Final quick question, and we'll move on to other games on the other side. But is it possible that the Bills were over emotional because Hamlin was in the stadium, and you know they're they're playing for number three? Is it is, could that have played a role in why Buffalo was just they just seemed flat? Yeah, they did seem flat. But if anything, you would think that would fire them up and give them more motivation. At least that's what I thought. That's why I was kind of shocked that they, they didn't have that fire and that 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 passion that, that you thought you would see with DeMar Hamlin watching from above. But, um, again, I can't go in their minds. But, you know, again, the, the better team won that game. And Cincinnati definitely looked like the better team out there. The most telling stat of that game occurred in the first quarter. Total yards. Buffalo. Eight. Eight. Did you hear me, Lars? Eight. Thank you. And Burrow, I think, was nine for nine. I've got a wow. field um, conditions question, TV slash whatever, when we get back. And, and, and I need help. I'm totally, totally confused about this particular issue. Back in a moment on Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Want to know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Download the Tide 100.9 app today. Ask Big. Have you seen our artisan-created diamonds? If you've been in a room with one, you can't miss it. Tom Osmond from Fincher and Osmond. Sunny during the day. Then tomorrow night, the weather becomes windy with rain moving in mainly after midnight. The daytime high, 58. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 50 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Hey, back on Big Noon Sports, Lars, Matt, Christian, Josh, Joe, hey, I want to talk about the other games, obviously, we want to get to that, but I want to ask you guys a question, I was sitting there watching the game before I met y'all, 
and I was noticing the field. I mean, it was snowing pretty darn hard, especially when they would show field level shots. Mm-hmm. Now, when you show it from the fifty up, it doesn't, and it's the same thing with rain. It never looks as intense as it really is. It's just a wider angle. But when you looked up top, the hash marks were, I guess, like they didn't have snow on them. Did you notice that? I did not. Christian, did you notice that they were, the hash marks did not have snow, whereas the rest of the field was covered? It, maybe because the hash marks are white, so you couldn't tell. I, I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know. I kind of noticed. Well, it. It I'm going to like the phone some, number out. There's some outlines it looked like on some of the lines. Yeah, I kind of did feel like the, the lining was still pretty yeah. precise, I guess. Yeah, it looked like they had, you know, slow kind of put the snowplow thing on it before the game, but it kept snowing, so wouldn't it cover back up? Was it heated underneath? Uh, my wife maintains that it was done through the TV screen. I'm going, wait a minute. Then why wouldn't they just do the whole field? But anyway, if anybody knows the answer to this bizarre and um, uh, probably boring question, anybody listening. Call us in. Call us up at 205-342-9904. Of course, you can call us on any other topic as well. But if you happen to know, now I do know that in other games in the past, they have, through the magic of television, they will illuminate, for lack of a better term, the yardage, like 10-yard line, 20-yard line. So they can do that through TV when it really has snow on top of it. But were they able to do that for the hash marks? And really, here, Lars, Christian, the most important qu- question here is, does anybody really care other than me? <laughs> I think that's a TV I think that's a TV guy uh, obsession. Yeah, it, it's uh, – by the way, and I wish I could call their names, the guys that did play-by-play in color, Greg Olson was the uh, color analyst last night for the – Eagles. Yeah, he's well, not, he's, not a, Eagles. he's a rising star. Boy, he's good. He's and his good. play-by-play no, guy he, sounded he, like he's Al better, Michaels. He's and better was, than Romo now. I think. I think he may be. Yeah. God, good observation. Okay. So, and and how could you hear anything? Of course, you were home by then. <laughs> um, Big Noon Sports two zero five three four two nine nine zero four. If you can shed any light on that, please do. Now let's turn it back over to Christian, and uh, I want your your thoughts on. What the Eagles did to the Giants, and particularly your buddy Jalen Hurts, wow! Yeah, yeah, you know the Eagles boat raced the Giants, and uh, it's one of those things, man. I mean, we we knew the Eagles probably would win this game, but I didn't expect it to be so lopsided. But it just goes to show you, and I think uh, Nick Sirianni, the head coach of the Eagles, was he didn't want to necessarily compare Jalen to Jordan, but he was basically just talking about the impact that that Jalen Hurts has on that team, and um, and it shows, you know, when you. When you watch him out there, you know, Jalen, you know, makes tremendous throws, um, but he's just a perfect fit for that offense, the way they can run that zone read. Um, they can hand the ball off and run the ball effectively with Sanders. And then um, his connection with, with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, you know, his receivers, they have, you know, special chemistry, and you see that. And, and their play design is um, so perfect. They, they have the, the just – everything just flows perfect with, with that offense. So – and you look at the defensive side of the ball, James Bradbury, who was a former giant, a uh, former teammate of mine in Carolina, um, had a big game uh, at the cornerback position, had a, a big interception early on and made some nice tackles. And 
Um, you know, you got Darius Slay. They, they just have a very solid defense. And then you look at guys like Hassan Reddick, another former teammate of mine with the Carolina Panthers, uh, his ability to provide pressure off the edge, you know, not giving Daniel, jo- Daniel Jones any time to throw the football. Then you look at the big guys in the middle, Fletcher Cox. I mean, they're, they are a complete football team, and um, they played outstanding. Um, I think the Giants still can, you know, build off of you know, what they have in, in Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, but um, they just, they just weren't, weren't the right match for, for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, but overall, very good game for Jalen. Glad to see him having the success that he's having. I think it's funny that people are kind of arguing over who can claim him because, you know, he spent several years at Alabama before finishing his career at Oklahoma. I think it's kind of silly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he went to both schools. He graduated from I have a picture of me and him at graduation here. And then um, I'm sure he got some type of degree while he was at Oklahoma. So um, I, I don't know why people argue about silly stuff like that. Look, he went to both schools. He's, he's you know, alumni of, of, of both schools. So I just wanted to put that out there because I, all I keep seeing is, Oh no, he's a Bama guy. No, he's a Sooner. I'm like, damn, he's both. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what happens when you transfer. I mean, you have allegiance to multiple schools, right? You know, it's it's amazing how the fingerprints of Alabama are all over these games. And uh, Giants head coach Brian Dable done a great job this year. Christian, uh, former OC at Alabama. He's got to make a decision on Daniel Jones. I mean, do you think Daniel Jones is their quarterback moving forward? Is he the guy that they're going to construct their franchise around? Because um, if you are going to make him the guy, I I assume they probably wouldn't franchise him. They would give him a a, a huge contract. Uh, What what do you think they'll do? It's tough to say. You know, again, I I think – He's a slightly above average quarterback. I mean, I wouldn't say he's necessarily elite, but I mean, he, he definitely gives you the potential to win football games. Now, in terms of offering him, you know, a lucrative contract, uh, it's tough to say. I mean, I know he was 15th in passing yards and uh, tied for 21st in, in touchdowns with 15. So, I mean, the, the guys. A, a, 15 a, touchdown passes in 17 games. Yeah. So, hey. yeah. So, again, but I, I, I would say, you know, he's average to above average. Um, you know, I think they like him there, um, and I think they can see him improving in the future. So I, I feel like they stick with him because, again, the thing about quarterbacks in this league is you can draft guys, but, again, you never know how they're going to turn out. I mean, I don't care how great they were in college. I mean, some of these guys just – I mean, look, look at San Francisco. They they spent all those picks on Trey Lance, and, hell, you got Mr. Irrelevant literally <laughs> taking your team to the NFC Championship and is undefeated since he's taken over that role, if I'm not mistaken – um, and more than likely, he's yep. going to be their guy going forward, right? So sometimes it's better just you just to stick with what you have and, and just try to you know go from there and, and let, let guys kind of you know get better and develop and and hopefully um, you know because he's proven right you know again he's not I wouldn't say elite and he hasn't necessarily won anything major but um, he's proven that he can play in the National Football League and some of these guys you're drafting you don't know if they can play yet right you're going off potential um, so. I would stick with them for a little bit longer, but that's just me. I'm not an NFL GM, so I don't know how much that means. <laughs> well, you know, in, in the wild card round against the Vikings at Minnesota, I thought Daniel Jones was the best player on the field. Yeah, he, he out. You know, he he had a, he had a great game. Uh, certainly outplayed Cousins, and uh, Minnesota just sort of wasted a 13-win season by going out in the first round very quietly. But who, who did that actually surprise? 
I know. That's what that, Minnesota that's does. It's, sorry, it's, yeah. their, it's their MO. That's what Kirk Cousins does. Oh. Meanwhile, last night, San Francisco beat Dallas 19-12, to and we really haven't gotten into much detail than Kansas City win over Jacksonville. Are the Jags the up-and-coming? Are they the Bengals? Are they on the rise? Hey, uh, we need to talk some Alabama football. Check in on what's happening with the offensive and defensive coordinator search, and we'll do that with AL.com's Mike Rodak in just a minute. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Experience a level of performance you've never seen in a tournament bass boat until now. In your new Camus Bass Boat powered by Mercury. From Boatworks in Northport. Welcome back to Big News Sports. Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, along with Christian Miller, bringing you today's show. We'll be joined here immediately by Mike Rodak from AL.com. Mike, uh, first of all, just a general greeting here. How are you? Thanks for having me back on. Uh, You're a real go-to guy, man. Uh, Yeah, we're... uh, you're like our uh, Riviera coming out of the bullpen. Um, and, and, and seriously, we appreciate that very much. Um, over the weekend, uh, my wife and I were out of town having a big time celebrating our anniversary. So I didn't really – I didn't follow much sports. I watched games. That's about it. But somewhere along the way, something popped up about this Greg Roman guy. I'll be very transparent. I didn't know who he was. O.C. Ravens. Mm-hmm. He resigned. He doesn't have another job. I guess if, if you add two and two and you want to get Crimson Tide, that's where you go. So in a very, very long way of asking this question, as I saw over the weekend, is he in the mix and uh, who are the others as far as an offensive coordinator for Alabama? Yeah, I, I laughed when I saw that. It was, I guess, someone who updated his Wikipedia page, which anybody can do and anybody <laughs> can do it for whatever reason. And yeah. No. You know, there's no rules as far as that goes. And I laugh, too, because I used, actually used to cover Greg Roman uh, when I was in Buffalo. He was Bill's offensive coordinator for a year and a half until Rex Ryan fired him, um, or even less than a year and a half. And, I mean, it's from a NFL standpoint, his offense was as stone age as you can get. And it's, um, you know, wing T and not – it's not the wing tee, but it's close to the wing tee, which is kind of what they run. It's, it's very sort of old school running the ball. Uh, the passing concepts are just not what you kind of think the modern NFL is, and it isn't what the modern NFL is. And um, I, I laugh because it's not anything what Nick Saban has tried to do with this offense the last five or six years. It's not innovative. It's not uh, a pass-first offense. It's not quarterback, wide receiver-centered. So I just don't see that being a real possibility. And whoever ties it between, you know, Greg Roman resigns from the Ravens to Greg Roman is coming to Alabama, that's a huge leap, and I just don't see it. I haven't heard anything to that regard, and I would be surprised if that happens. And, you know, as far as, you know, who does come, obviously the first domino that needs to fall is Bill O'Brien, and that still hasn't happened. And, um, you know, he's still, I think, widely considered the favorite in New England. Uh, But does he get a look for the Cardinals? 
head coaching job. I think that's one wild card that kind of remains out there. They just hired a new GM who came from the Patriots. And wouldn't it be shocking to see him get an interview out there? So, you know, once that domino falls, then yes, I think, you know, Nick Saban will have to kind of finalize things as far as what his backup plan is. And, you know, nobody knows for certain who exactly he's talking to. I think it's a little bit less clear than, you know, the defensive side of things. But, um, you know, there's a lot of names out there. And I guess I, I can't specifically narrow it down to one or two at this point. Because of the type of offensive linemen that we particularly see in this latest class, I mean, these guys are just huge. They're beasts. They're maulers. Do you sense that there could be a slight shift in the offensive philosophy moving forward? More of a power attack, more more power runs, and less reliance on you know th- you know th- throwing the ball and 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 sort of what Alabama has had ever since Lane Kiffin was the OC. Uh, you know, I we heard a little bit of that from Nick Saban towards the end of the year, where he talked about wanting to have more balance on offense. Um, you know, wanting to move to where, yeah, I mean, not totally back to what the old old days were, but, um, you know, maybe swing the pendulum back slightly. And, you know, I think there's a way of doing that, but also still being kind of cutting edge. And, like, you look at what Ole Miss does. Like, Ole Miss runs really fast on offense. Tennessee runs really fast on offense, too. And um, those are two offenses that have given Alabama some trouble, especially, you know, uh, Tennessee last year. Um, but it's not like they're always passing the ball 100% of the time. Ole Miss runs the ball a lot. They run the ball really well. So you can kind of mix and match. It doesn't have to be slow and methodical and huddle and, you know, have a fullback. And I don't think it's going to be that. I don't think it's going to be anything close to that. I think still think it's going to be an offense that, um, you know, tries to spread it out and tries to go fast and tries to throw the ball because they have, in theory, you know, really good wide receivers. They recruit really well. Um, but they may not have the quarterback to do it next year, at least. And obviously, the the decision between Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson is going to play into that too. Because if you have Milrow, you're going to have a lot more design quarterback runs. And, um, it's going to be a little bit less of a passing offense just to begin with. So, yeah, I, I do think Saban wants to be able to run the ball. Um, but I also think he wants, you know, he, he's always looking at what beats him on defense. What beat him on defense last year, you know, chiefly was the, the Tennessee offense which is fast and, and pretty wide open. So you can kind of borrow elements of everything. I don't, I don't think it's going to be one specific thing, and I do think the quarterback decision will play into it too. Mike, a lot of people want to see a familiar face back at defensive coordinator and Jeremy Pruitt, but I'm curious, what kind of obstacles or constraints would there be in hiring him, if any? Well, I, I think the question, the biggest question is, will he be able to recruit? Um, because if it, there is an NFL or an NFL an NCAA penalty that comes down, um, then that may restrict his ability to be out on the road and recruiting. And if your defensive coordinator can't go out and recruit, then that's obviously um, an issue. Um, but they do have other coaches. I mean, Freddie Roach recruited Travis Robinson, and, uh, you know, Coleman Hutzler and, and Austin Armstrong. But I think you bring in Jeremy Pruitt, that's, that's a pretty big dog to be out there on the road um, to be talking to kids. So, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing. I can't speak specifically to where that process is and um, how much the SEC is involved and um, how much Alabama's administration is involved. Because, you know, I think Alabama itself 
not just Saban, but AD-wise, probably wants to be careful with bringing aboard someone that has this on their record because then that kind of reflects upon you and, um, you know, it, it kind of transfers onto you a little bit. So you have to be careful with it, but at the same time, you know, football's changed, college football's changed since even a couple of years ago when those penalties came down to Pruitt. And some, I want to say what he did was legal now, but I think obviously the environment has changed where players are getting paid. So um, how much does that factor into this whole thing? And how much does the Hugh Freeze situation factor in where, you know, that he was kind of let back in and why can't Alabama let Jeremy Pruitt back in if Auburn was able to let Hugh Freeze back in? Mike, in talking with Alabama fans, the number one question I get asked is, who is going to be the starting quarterback next year? Uh, My gut tells me Ty Simpson, but that is not based on anything factual. What what do you think? Do you have any sense? Yeah, so, I mean, my gut as well does say Simpson. Obviously, if you were to strap down Nick Saban and have him tell the truth right now. I don't think he would know because there's obviously, you know, weeks of spring practice and fall camp that's going to have to play out and for him to get a long look. And, you know, theoretically, could they still go in and, and get someone to portal late? Yeah, but I think the odds of that are diminishing. I think once you get past spring practice, it's going to be really tough for any new quarterback to come in and, and get up to speed. So it's probably between the two guys. And, you know, I still think overall Nick Saban wants to run – a, a passing offense that is able to put 50 points on the board and is able to throw down the field and be explosive. And I, I still think those are elements of football that he still thinks are important um, in the year 2023. So with the recruiting that they've done at wide receiver and the, the speed guys that they brought in, I think you still want somebody to throw the ball down the field. I I think the more we saw to Jalen Miller last year, probably the less confident that we were in, in his ability to to be able to do that. Um, even when he came in, I think it was against Austin P late in the year and threw an interception. That was another kind of strike against him. So um, he's the more experienced guy. I think he'd be a little bit safer, um, but you're going to be running a different offense with him. It's still going to be that option offense. He's going to be running 10, 12 times a game and maybe throwing for 150, 200 yards. And I just don't know that's what Nick Saban wants to do again in the year 2023. Mike, we saw Pete Golding, you know, leave and take the job over at Ole Miss. Do you think that is any concern that maybe some guys would uh, potentially want to follow him there? Do you think Alabama needs to worry about that and losing guys in terms of them trying to join, you know, former coaches that were previously on the co- previously on the coaching staff at Alabama? Probably not. Um, I mean, there's there's already a lot of turnover on defense to begin with, so it's like the two guys that were starters in, in Pete's position room and inside linebacker are already gone, you know, at toe, toe and, and Jalen Moody. Um, and then the guys that are left, I mean, if you're Deontay Lawson or Jihad Campbell or, you know, Tresman Marshall, they just brought in from Georgia, like you have a chance to start. Um, so I don't think they're going anywhere. Um, you know, and this the defense as a whole, like you're losing Dale and Young and Battle and, you know, Ricks and Helms. And there's a lot of guys that, played for Pete this past season who are just gone to begin with. Um, so the, the amount of guys carried over is not huge. And I think the guys that are left, you know, probably have look at this as a chance to start and look at this as a chance to play. And, um, you know, whatever NIL package they have from Alabama, I'm sure plays into it too. So 
Um, I, I don't see that being a problem. And obviously now, you know, for the undergrads, at least the transfer portal window is closed. Um, so that won't be really an issue until that second window opens uh, April 15th. Mike, uh, we can always find you on AL.com. How do folks follow you? Yeah, exactly. On Twitter, at Mike Rodak. Hey, I appreciate all your time, uh, and uh, you answer the bell every single time I call, and I appreciate that very much. I hope you have a wonderful day, and uh, maybe see you Wednesday night at the basketball game. Great info, Mike. Yeah, Yeah. always. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, you bet. Um. Probably need to talk a little bit about the Cowboys or maybe more about the 49ers when we get back on Big Noon Sports. Covering SEC sports like kudzu on the roadside, this is Big Noon Sports. A national championship team covering a national championship team. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Right now, you can get free carpet installation from the Home Depot. So while we're putting in your new carpet, you'll have more time to take care of the lawn. Sunny during the day. Then tomorrow night, the weather becomes windy with rain moving in mainly after midnight. The daytime high 58. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 50 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big Noon Sports, Christian Miller, Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson. Thanks to Mike Rodak for, uh, you know, clearing up uh, as muddy as the waters are when it comes to the coordinator's hires at the University of Alabama. We do know there is a search for a D.C. We're really not sure there is one for the O.C., but one would certainly assume that it is. Last night... San Francisco 49ers defeated Dallas by a score of 19-12. to And Mr. Irrelevant outperformed Dak. Uh, Brock Purdy was 19-29. of 29, You know, a very studied effort, if you will. 19-29, of 29, 214 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Meanwhile, Dak Prescott was 23-37. of 37. Uh, for 206 yards, one touchdown, and two picks. Will Dak Prescott ever win a Super Bowl? Lars Anderson. No. Not as the team is currently constructed because um, CeeDee Lamb is uh, not a number one wide receiver. Uh, He's a number two. Uh, They tried to turn him into a one. He's not a one. Um, They need a guy like Amari Cooper, who I, I still don't understand why they traded him away um they just need more weapons i mean and you look what brock purdy does he's like a point guard out there and then christian and i talked talked about christian mccaffrey um and and how good he is you you got uh the best tight end in football or maybe the second best behind kelsey in um uh geez kittle yeah great great kittle uh, you got uh, Ayuk, uh, really talented wide receiver Samuel, who I know is hurt, but um, man, Christian, they they just have so many weapons 
on that offensive side of the ball for or San Fran that Brock Purdy he doesn't have to make the spectacular throws. And then you combine that with the fact that they probably have the best defense of the four remaining teams in the playoffs. I, I think the 49ers are going to be in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a big matchup between the Eagles and, and the 49ers. But um, I, I will say, I, I feel like the, the Cowboys have, you know, key pieces. You know, they, they probably could add a receiver, sure. Um, but ultimately, you just can't turn the ball over, you know. And, and Dak had, you know, two interceptions in the first half. Maher, Maher, the kicker, you know, his struggles continued into this game initially. He missed a, a, a kick, an extra point. Um, and then Tony Pollard, you know, who has really um, kind of taken over as their, their, their running back number one over Zeke, in, in my opinion. You know, he goes down and he, he breaks his leg. Um and can, so, I, can I ask you that real quick about Christian? What what happened to Ezekiel Elliott? Did he just get did question. he just get old all of a sudden? No, well, well, the shelf life for a running back in the National Football League is not very long. I will say that, but uh, you know, I, it's it's hard to say. Um, I, I will say sometimes we see this where guys get these lucrative contracts and then they just start underperforming. Now I don't know if they're mindset kind of shifts once they finally get that that contract or what but it's not uncommon for that to happen I, I, again i'm not accusing him of that but it, it you know it, it does appear you know he got paid and his his performance has kind of declined since then but i you know it could be a number of things you know maybe he is just getting up there again you know playing running back is is a, a physical toll and it's it's not easy but you know again but tony pollard is, is a, a phenomenal running back and the two of them yeah. that's, a, that's a great tandem um, you got C.D. Lamb, and and again, I I feel you know he's stepped up as that receiver one, but I think they trading Amari Cooper I think was dumb. You know, again, I'm I'm biased because I played with yeah. him, but just knowing how talented he is, I mean, he's arguably one of the best route runners in the in the NFL, and uh, you know he's a very reliable guy, but. I just again, I, I think Dak just has to play better, especially when it matters. You know, you, you can't you can't have those kind of turnovers because. If you look at this football game, you know, if Dallas doesn't have those turnovers, more than likely they win the game, right? You know, their defense was doing everything they could. I mean, it was a very low-scoring game, especially in the first half. Um, but what happens is your defense eventually starts running out of gas, you know, and, and you can only ask so much of them. They, and they did a great job against the 49ers offense in the first half. Um, but but you really just have to tip your hat to the 49ers defense they have talent on every single level. You know, their defensive line, they got Armstead and, and, and Bosa. They're, they arguably have the best middle linebacker in the National Football League and Fred Warner. I mean, that guy is a tackling machine. I watched him. Uh, he was mugged in the A-gap, drops out, and he has to run down the seam with C.D. Lamb and, and is so fast he caused the pass breakup, uh, forces the incompletion. And then on the back end, they have the the in today's age Paul Amalu. I can't even think of his name right now, but I'm pretty sure he was an All Pro safety. Um, they just man, their defense is wow. They're sick. And when you have a great defense like that, and you have all the weapons on offense like the 49ers have, Brock Purdy Brock Purdy just has to play within his means. He has to take what the defense gives him, and he's plays within the system. You know, make good decisions, which he does. And they should they should be successful. Um, the issue is when they go to play Philadelphia, you're playing a an explosive offense who who can run the ball, but also can can air it out. They have you know two two receiving threats in AJ Brown and, and Devontae Smith, and they also have a very talented defense. So I think that's going to be a big time matchup, and I'm really excited for that game. 
Um, I'm just worried about the Chiefs with with the Bengals because you know Patrick Mahomes suffered a high ankle sprain. I've had one of those. I mean, it, it took uh, probably two weeks before I feel like I could comfort, comfortably walk um, correctly. Um, and, you know, typically it's like a four to six week recovery time. Granted, they expect him to play um, and it might not be as bad of a high goal as um, it, it could be. But I can tell you right now, he is not going to feel great this uh, the, when he when he steps on the field against the Bengals. There's no way he's going to feel uh, I would give him at best 75 percent at best just because of quick turnaround. So he he looked like a different player in the second half, mm-hmm. right? Uh I know the ankle was taped up. Is there something he had they adrenaline could give running. him like uh, Lars, he was <laughs> that's adrenaline. I I guarantee you the next morning the he man well then they no they definitely shot him up. They definitely shot him up in the locker room 100%. They taped, What would that what would that be? Is it Tordal? I I, I or am I getting that totally wrong? I I, I don't know. I'm, you might have to look into that but get a doctor uh, on just just yeah. know just know that he definitely was shot up and uh had his ankles taped underneath he had spat on overneath uh, over the top so in that adrenaline you know that's going to be kicking in and you're not going to think too much but i guarantee you he woke up the next morning and it was hard as hell for him to walk around i know for a fact because i've had that injury but i hope he's healthy though it i, I never want an injury to, to decide a, a game i no. you never want that but hey, yes it, or no? But then, uh, then Chad Henney leads him on a 98-yard oh, scoring drive. What a great story. What has he been in the NFL since I've been alive? Yeah. Something like that? Michigan guy. Um, yes or no? The, does Dallas win that game if Pollard doesn't break his leg? No. No. Christian? No. Okay. Coolest moment. Kittle's catch, by the way. Just off the chart phenomenal. He throws the ball to Jerry Rice. I mean... I mean, kill it. He just doesn't wow. care if he gets his head taken off there. But he ducked just in time to not was, get his head taken off. You might get wireless data everywhere. But do you have to use it all the time? If that's not really you, this track phone. You can get the same GHD2 Northport and W265CG Tuscaloosa, Tide 100.9, and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Welcome back to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. Well, we got the uh, conference championships coming up this weekend. San Francisco will travel to Philly. Uh, Cincinnati will be at Kansas City. Um, I think both these games right now, check something this morning, um, are darn near pick'ems. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys have a lean right now. I, I know personally you're uh, you're pulling for the old Bengals. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate, I, like Christian just said, I hate the fact that Mahomes most likely won't be at 100%. Uh, I know he's come out and said, hey, I'm playing, and I'll be around 90%. I've never had a high ankle sprain. Um, and, uh, again, Christian, for those listeners just tuning in uh, at the top of the hour here, how significant is that injury in your mind? And, and and I'm sure you saw the replays of it. 
and I even saw some Kansas City fans saying that it was a dirty play uh, by the defender there. If you could just sort of break down what happened to Mahomes and then um, how he was able to, to kind of battle through it and what your expectations are of how he will perform on Sunday. Yeah, so he basically was getting tackled by a defender from behind who kind of had his uh, legs wrapped up. And as he was going down, uh, basically the his foot was caught underneath the defender. The defender's weight fell on it. And it high ankle sprain, so people are always confused because you have, um, you know, your, your typical ankle sprains, um, which is, you know, you kind of tweak your ankle, you roll your ankle, you might be playing basketball or running mm-hmm. around with your kids or step in a pothole or something in the grass, and you kind of tweak it real quick. And it definitely, you know, it's hard to put weight on it, but typically the, the bottom of your ankle almost near your foot will swell, right? And, and it's uh, that's your typical ankle sprain. A high ankle sprain is almost like your lower shin, um, a higher part of your ankle, and it, it, it really is where um, – you you have pain basically shooting up your leg. It feels like it, it's a lot different than a, a typical ankle sprain. You know, a typical ankle sprain. You know, you do the typical rice, um, uh, the, the rest, ice, uh, compression, um, elevation. You you know you can you can take some you know over the the counter uh, anti inflammatory stuff and feel better. You know, in, in, in several days in most cases. But a high ankle sprain. I mean, you're looking at typically four to six weeks and. This is the famous injury that uh, guys like Tua had when he was here, and they did what was called the tightrope surgery, um, which is mm-hmm. they, they go in there real quick, and they, they kind of um, just basically do a quick little procedure they call a tightrope procedure that uh, you know speeds up the recovery time for a high ankle sprain. They go in there, and, and they, they uh, you know, reestablish the support, and, and it allows it to heal quicker well. He's not going to have time to do a tightrope surgery. I'm almost positive. And uh, again, it, to to be able to really feel comfortable, you know, walking around, moving around, especially playing football, putting your foot in the ground, planting in a week. I, I mean, that's a long shot. Now, granted, he's going to be shot up with you know whether cortisol or tortol, whatever they they use in the the tape and, and the spat, which is the the outer tape that you put over the cleat, it's called spat. And he's going to have everything possible. Even there's even braces, outer braces that you can put over the cleat as well. So he's going to probably have all type of support to help him feel as comfortable as possible. But we're talking about, I mean, this guy's a quarterback. He's going to have to plant on his foot to throw the football. That's how he's going to get his power, really driving his feet in the ground to make those throws. So it can really uh, be a big factor in this football game. So we'll definitely have to to watch out and see, but. They do have Chad Henney, who who did lead off that that drive. I think he set a record by the longest drive or something like that. So he's capable. However, he's not a Patrick Mahomes, right? So that 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 could be an issue. Um, tell you said you suffered a high ankle sprain at Alabama, correct? It was actually the Panthers, but yes, I have I've had one. Oh, the Panthers. Okay, so yeah. what what happened to you? And just give us your experience with uh, how quickly you were able to get back on the field and how quickly it took you to get back to 100%. So with me, I didn't have anybody fall on me. I was, you know, rushing the passer. And I, I was – we were running what it, what is called a natural, right? And it's where uh, – matter of fact, Frank Clark got a sack running this. It's where the three technique, he shoots up the field. He's going to line wide. He's going to shoot up field and rush to the B gap, causing that guard 
to put his attention on the three technique who's rushing up the field. Well, as a defensive end, you're going to sell up field, and as soon as you feel your three technique clear, you're going to wrap underneath, and that's what's called a natural. And usually when the three technique has, has that guard turned, he's, he's not even paying attention to you coming underneath, and you basically come clean, right, through the A-gap. Well, long story short, that's what I was doing. And when I went to plant, my foot got stuck in the ground, and I almost like fell backwards on it in the awkward position. I basically fell in the, the same motion Patrick did, just without somebody falling on me. And that's why I knew when with the way he fell, I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's a high ankle sprain. Especially how he couldn't put any weight on it after that. He was hopping around to do the handoff. I knew it was a high ankle sprain. Mm-hmm. You can always tell because it is so hard to put weight on it because you know, your upper your upper ankle is is where you know you have the, the tibia and the fibula and. and Basically, there's a lot of stress from that high ankle sprain, and, and any type of pressure on there is just is, is, is very painful. We saw Mac Jones have one, and we saw him. He was, like, screaming going into the tunnel. I, I don't know if you guys remember that clip um, from this past season, but they're, they're definitely not comfortable. But, yeah, that, that, and that's why I'm going to say I mean, I, I think it took me probably, probably uh, at least a week until I could kind of walk around normal. Um, granted, mine was pretty bad, and I also suffered a sprained knee on top of it. But... Uh, yeah, playing on that in a week is, is definitely a, a very big challenge. So do you think this is going to make Mahomes more of a pocket passer? Because Mahomes uses his legs a lot, right? Like he is he's so great at uh, going off script. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is a big part of his game. Now, of course, I, I mean, I, I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL. I really do. Uh, even though I love Joe Burrow, I think Mahomes is—he's uh, just on a, a level that no one else is at. But do you think this will limit his ability to run? Oh, definitely. It definitely will. Um, again, if he could even <laughs> if he could even run seventy percent of his top speed, I'd be impressed. Again, only because it's a week. I'm not saying you know it's, it's, this is comparable to like an ACL. I'm not. I'm not saying that. It's just the fact that the, the limited amount of time he has before he has to play again. To me, that's why I'm, I'm. I don't have high hopes for him feeling great. Now, I'm sure if you watch him on TV, he'll probably look you know fine for the most part, unless you see him trying to scramble or evade, uh, be evade, um, elusive and evade uh pressure maybe you know they'll be able to tell but i'm sure you know just the typical handoffs and just sitting in the pocket you might not tell be able to tell too much but um i i know for a fact that he's probably going to have to change the way he plays just because there's no way he's going to be able to run um the way he wants to run dealing with the high ankle sprain and, and, and if you're uh lou Onarumo, who is the defensive coordinator for the bengals does this change Dial how you are I'm, going to game plan? Yes, I'm dialing yep. up pressure all game. I am trying to get him off his spot and make him move around because he's not going to want to move around. I'm going to bring pressure. Now, the problem is <laughs> you got guys like Travis Kelsey, who I swear, man, dude, that dude just is always open. So you got guys like that, and they're, they're able to get separation and, and, and give him some options, and you should be okay. But, yeah, I'm dialing up the pressure, Lars. I'm, I'm bringing the heat. Now, and I hate to do that because I'm not <laughs> – Again, I know the guy's injured. I'm I'm respectful of guys' injuries, but strategically, let's just call a spade a spade. Like if you have a quarterback who's a little banged up, you want to send a message. You want to make him uncomfortable. It's just it's part of the game. Respectfully, I don't understand what Jacksonville was thinking. And in, in Jake, 
just not like I don't know doing bracket coverage or putting two guys on Kelsey because it's not like Kansas City has these stud wide receivers on the edges, right? They don't have Tyreek Hill. Yeah, but but Kelsey just made play after play after play. Christian, do you have any insight into that? I, 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 there had to be a philosophy behind it, correct? Yeah, but the problem is, look, tight ends are, are mismatched nightmares if you have the right tight end, right? Because who typically is responsible for covering tight ends? A linebacker or a safety? Linebacker. Right? Those guys aren't, they don't have the coverability as your, as your star cornerback. And so that's why these guys are, are mismatched nightmares because if you have a tight end who is athletic in the receiving game and, and provides a threat, you know, with his athleticism, he's not only athletic, but he's big, guys. The tight ends in the NFL are 6'4", 6'5", sometimes as big as 6'6", right? And and so you're you're asking a safety who might be 5'11", maybe 6'1", to cover these 6'5", 250-pound guys who run 4'5", it's not easy. And then... I'll be honest, really what it boiled down to, if you watch the game call, like the, the play calling in this game, Lars, it was remarkable. The way the way they were setting up these plays, you know, they, they move guys around, they line them up in different spots. They, they're intentionally creating uh, mismatches. Same for Jacksonville. That one touchdown, they put Christian Kirk in the backfield at the running back position, put him on a wheel route. So guess who was responsible for covering him? The defensive end, because the call that the Kansas City Chiefs were in, it's basically what they did was, and you can see it, the linebacker goes up to the defensive end and tells them, we would call that in college, we called it a share rush, meaning you're rushing the passer. If the running if the running back, who was Christian Kirk, if he swing releases, you take him, and the inside linebacker will switch responsibilities. So that's what they did. Unfortunately, it was Christian Kirk back there, and good luck having a defensive end cover your <laughs> your star receiver who runs a 4 3 4 4 so the play calling is, oh, man, it, it's so critical. And we saw some great uh, play calling in that game. And, and that's that's what makes it tough on defense is when you have innovative play designs like that, it's so tough to stop. Did you play in Kansas City? No, I never played there. No, my, my dad always talks about how loud Arrowhead was. It sounded loud on the TV, though. Yeah, yeah it, it really did. And it was constant the whole time. I mean, they obviously mm-hmm. they'd get loud when, you know, particularly when Kittle made that catch. But just between plays, I mean, it's it's a very much a college atmosphere, as I think it was your dad that told us last week, is that and Green Bay are kind of hard to beat at the NFL level. Yep. Um, situation uh, with a wide receiver at Georgia, and uh, we'll turn the dial towards some college football on the other side of the break. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Want to know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Download the Tide 100.9 app today. Get in zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. Ah, thinking about gas mileage? If your check engine light is on, it may be affecting your MPGs. But the fleece sunny during the day. The tomorrow night, the weather becomes windy with rain moving in mainly after midnight. The daytime high 58. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 51 degrees in Tuscaloosa.
Hey, welcome back into Big Noon Sports. Christian Miller, Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson. You got Joe, Josh, and Aiden. Pardon me. Uh, this story popped up here in the last day or so. Wide receiver from Georgia, or transferred to Georgia from Mississippi State and from Eufaula, Alabama. Rara uh, Rodarius Thomas was booked for a um, felony charge of false imprisonment and a misdemeanor count of family violence battery, according to Clark County Jail Records. Uh, the incident obviously took place in the wee hours of the morning uh, last year for uh, Mississippi State, the Eufaula, Alabama native. had He was the leading receiver at Mississippi State, 626 yards, 44 catches, and seven touchdowns. So the guy was obviously going to see the playing field. Don't know if that's going to happen now. That's just news to pass along. But, of course, I'm going to ask our legal expert, that would be Lars Anderson. What is false imprisonment? Uh, so when you lock somebody up? You no, know, it's just like telling somebody <laughs> they can't leave, I'm pretty sure. I, I think it's one of those things like, yeah. if, like if he's in an argument with a, a female or something and he's – he don't want her to leave or something. He's telling her she can't leave until they settle the argument or something. I, I think that's probably what it kind of falls in line with. The uh, the actual definition is um, the state of being in prison, imprisoned without legal authority. Um, yeah, it occurs when a person intentionally restricts another person's movement within any area without legal authority, justification, uh or the uh, person's permission. So Odd, oddly worded. That's a I don't know. That's a kind of, that sounds awkward to me. False imprisonment from what it actually is. I think like, it sounds uh, like you built a little cell and put somebody in it and wouldn't let them out. <laughs> no, no, that's why I was trying to give like, a, a real example. I mean, it's like if you're arguing no, with somebody, you're you like, did. oh, you're not leaving this house. Like, you're not, you can't go in, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think he literally, <laughs> it's not something to laugh and about, you, but, you know, I don't, I don't like you, you, No, you're right. It's like it's it is, when you stand in front of the door and saying you're not leaving. Exactly, exactly. To, that's to probably a real life example. That's probably that's a great example. Yeah. Though. Uh, that's can't, can't probably do that. what happened. Yeah, you can't do that. Can't uh, do that. Can't. Did you guys read this article on uh, what Brock Purdy said Nick Saban told him in the recruiting process? Mm-mm. Here is what Brock said Nick said. Uh, you're below average in height. Your arm strength is whatever. Your accuracy is average. I don't know if I buy that. I mean, Christian, you know Nick Saban far better than Matt and I. Can you imagine him telling a player that straight to his face? A player on his team? Yeah. <laughs> uh, a player on his team, yes. But a recruit but a kid that he's recruiting. A recruit, no. Uh, no, but uh, I'll be honest. I mean, Coach Saban, he... He's an honest person now, but I, I don't know if he would say it to a recruit. I think that might have been a little far-fetched. Uh, that might have been exaggerated, um, but I, I don't know. I mean, that. so he said that himself? Brock Purdy said that? He was quoting Saban as saying yeah. that to him. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, I mean, if he said it, maybe it did happen. I don't know. I just can't see Coach Saban saying, saying that to a recruit, you know, unless – 
yeah, I don't but maybe know. maybe Brock Purdy, maybe there is some preamble there, and Brock Purdy is like, Coach, can you just give me an honest assessment of what you think of me? And then I, I wouldn't be surprised if Nick did just lay it out there, tell him the truth. I, I, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, obviously Brock Purdy developed in, in college, and he became a very capable college quarterback. Um, and now he is he's doing great things. But wait, 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 hold on. Look, but, but but he was offered by Alabama. He had an Alabama offer, so that's why I'm kind of confused. Like it's not like okay, he came I didn't know to, he's not um, like he came to Junior Day and, and never received an offer, and then he was told that. Pretty sure he tweeted. I saw on Twitter like a while back. People were showing screenshots of it that he tweeted. You know the you know how kids do. Oh, blessed to receive an offer from the University of. He did that with Alabama. So from my understanding, he had an offer. So. Maybe it was one of those things, like you're saying, Lars, like Coach Saban was just almost saying, like, you know, right now this is what you are, but, you know, we can develop you. And Maybe he didn't uh, share the whole quote. I don't know. It uh, This came up, uh, Purdy's quote did, in a discussion with The Athletic, who I think their reputation is pretty good, isn't it, Lars? Yeah, yeah. Um... All right, so I'm going back to a story in in 2018, and it says Alabama extended a big offer on Tuesday night to three-star quarterback Brock Purdy out of Gilbert, Arizona. And uh, Purdy told Bama Online, it's crazy. It's a dream come true to play for basically the best program in the nation. It's so special for me and my family. And um, goes on to say that... uh, uh, he was recruited by uh, Jeff Banks, assistant coach, and he said, Coach Banks FaceTimed me, and he said, Sabin and all of them evaluated me and stuff again and made sure I was the right guy they wanted to offer. He said he didn't want to waste any time, apparently, so he told Coach Banks to call me and tell me I have a full-ride offer there. And... Um, and then he went on to talk about his special relationship with Banks, and he wanted uh, to wait and see at the time uh, who Alabama's next offensive coordinator was going to be uh, and what system they were going to play, and then he would make his ultimate decision. So, um, and at the time, Purdy, he was rated the number 57 pro-style quarterback in the country, uh, he was Gatorade Player of the Year in Arizona, passed for over 4,400 yards and 57 touchdowns as a senior. So, yeah, I uh, I am dubious <laughs> that Nick Saban said that to Brock Purdy, given the fact that they made an offer to him and they really wanted him. Would it be possible, and I'm going to kind of lean very much in the no direction, that when Purdy said, I'm going to go to Iowa State, he goes, well, you're average, you're this, your accuracy is average, you're short. And your mother wears army boots, you know? <laughs> so I don't see that happening either. You know? hey, what's wrong with wearing mom's, mom's wearing army boots? You, you've never heard that as a criticism towards someone? I haven't. Is that a southern thing? Have you ever heard that, Josh? Your mother wears army boots? It's like saying, it's like saying putting makeup on a pig. Yeah. Oh, okay. Have you ever heard that term? That phrase, Christian? Uh, Your mother wears army boots? I don't think I have, actually. Gosh. It's just a certain segment of my life. I learn something new every day on this show (laughs) of uh, how to speak Southern. 
Um, I don't think that's a Southern deal. I, oh, maybe it's a small segment of Broadview in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Evidently, because uh, no one else seems to know about it. Uh, hey, let's talk some Alabama basketball. Uh, Man. Big win at Missouri, number two in the nation. Um, it's been 20 years since Alabama was ranked that high. And I guess that was uh, Mark Godfrey era, uh, in which Alabama actually, uh, I don't know if it's 02 or when it, exactly it was, but uh, they made the Elite Eight that year. Uh, we will talk with their um, color analyst on the Crimson Tide Sports Network. You know him, you love him. Brian Passink next on Big Noon Sports. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. The weather outside might be cold, but these deals at Townsend Nissan are hot, like $2,000 discounts on select new Nissans and finance rates as low as 1.9. We are back on Big Noon Sports. Going to talk some Alabama basketball. Brian Passink. Uh, this week, Alabama will host Mississippi State Wednesday night, 8 o'clock. And then they do the Big 12 SEC matchup and travel to Oklahoma on Saturday. And with them every bit of the way will be Brian Passing. Brian joins us now on Big Noon Sports. How are you, Brian? Gentlemen, how are you all today? Hey, uh, it's a tad chilly, but it's a really pretty day. Um Hey, uh, evidently, pretty successful trip to Missouri. Um, as you well know, Alabama doesn't normally play real well um, at Mizzou, but they didn't play great, but still won by double digits. Uh, that's the sign of a really good basketball team, in my opinion, Brian. What do you think? I agree. You know, when you have uh, a game where you don't shoot it great um, and, you know, the you're just not clicking on all cylinders and still uh, you're up 20 in the second half against a quality opponent. And Missouri's a, a solid team. Now, they were down Kobe Brown, uh, but they still lead college basketball in steals. That has been an area that Alabama has struggled in. So from a matchup standpoint, you worried regardless of if Kobe Brown was playing or if not because they – do a great job creating turnovers. And so I thought coming into the game, if Alabama took care of the ball, they would win the game. Uh, I think that's the, the case most nights for this Alabama team uh, because they are so good on both ends of the floor, uh, top five nationally in defensive efficiency this year, one of the most, maybe the most improved defensive team in college basketball. And then you add the offensive firepower of Brandon Miller, Mark Sears, Noah Clowney and company, and uh, that's why you're ranked number two in the country. This is a really good Alabama basketball team and another impressive win over Missouri on the road. Brian, 
just from your perspective, sitting there courtside, um, obviously it was a very emotional win against Vanderbilt, and the players have had more time to process what what happened with their teammate, former teammate now. Um, just from again, just from on court actions, how do you how do you how do you see them? How, how have you seen them evolve from Vandy to Missouri? Well, one thing I've said about this team for the last month plus is let's not mistake youth for immaturity. This is a, a group that is very young, but also very mature. And you know, we talked about it strictly in a basketball context for the first few months of the season. But dealing with what these guys have dealt with uh, from a personal standpoint, from a real-life standpoint, over the last week plus, uh, that maturity uh, has been tested and, and so far so good. Uh, this is a group that does things the right way. Um, obviously, they're really good basketball players, uh, but they're great people. And they're hurting, but they were able uh, to come together as a group uh, and and – focus on the task at hand and that is not easy to do uh whether you're 18 or you're our age so these guys have done that and they've been impressive on and off the court in so many ways and what they've done on the road in nashville and columbia missouri uh, just even that much more impressive considering the circumstances Brian, we just saw Alabama uh, rank just as uh, as high as number two in, in the latest poll, right behind Purdue. Um, did you feel that they were deserving of that number one spot? Uh, maybe. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, I think to be where they are, top five is a great place to be. It's hard. It's you know, I, I saw Purdue in Portland. Uh, they're deserving of number one. I saw Houston, even though they lost, they're deserving of number one. There's there's several teams that you can make the argument. And the nature of college basketball is that there will be ups and downs over the course of the season. Um, and Alabama's going to go through that. I mean, they, they haven't gone through too many downs. And, look, I, I hope it doesn't happen. But I've been around this game too long to know whether you're a team uh, that ultimately wins the national championship or goes to the Final Four uh, – Typical college basketball season is a roller coaster ride. I, I saw Kansas last year's national champion lose to a bad Dayton team last year. Saw it uh, in person in Orlando uh, in the tournament that Alabama played in. Uh, didn't play Kansas because they were on the other side of the bracket, but I didn't think that was a national championship contender. Uh, they ended up cutting down the nets, uh, and because of that's how it goes. I mean, you're going to have off nights. You're going to have off weeks. Uh, hopefully, if if you if you have an off night, you're able to correct it quickly. It's tough to do in the SEC uh, because of how good the league is. There are no off nights. Even this Wednesday, you look at Mississippi State, a team that you look at on paper and think Alabama should beat this team, but they're a tough team. Uh, they've got really good players that'll be hungry uh, to beat the number two team in the country, and hopefully uh, that won't happen. But you know, I think Alabama's in a great place, and they're playing at an extremely high level, and I hope it continues. And you really can't look past the next game, and if you do, you're probably going to stub your toe and have a loss. Uh, so that that will be, I'm sure, the focus of practice the next couple of days is just continuing to play uh, to the standard of Alabama basketball, to get it done on the defensive end, which they 
certainly have to take care of the basketball, which they've done a much better job of. Uh, and you've got some guys back from injury now that will do nothing but help. So this team's in a great place. And if you would have uh, told me that this team would be ranked number two in the country at this point in the season, I would happily take it. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I'm not going to complain about not being number one. It, number two is a great place to be right now. Our guest is Brian Passink with the Crimson Tide Sports Network, handles the uh, color and analyst duties for basketball. Uh, I know this for a fact. When you travel with the team and the coaches, you're on the same plane, you're on the same buses, you're often dining right next to them, and you really get a sense of uh, a team's personality. Has that personality changed in the last week since the unfortunate fortunate incident of a couple of Saturdays ago? I wouldn't say their personality has changed at all, um, but I would say that these players, coaches, managers, everybody affiliated with the program, they've been hurting. And and that was obvious in Nashville. Um, and with what has gone on, um, you know, with, with the tragedy uh, for all involved, uh, it's tough for some of these guys to talk about it and um, and they're dealing with it. And um, I think they've handled it incredibly well with a ton of maturity, with a ton of character. Uh, but I haven't noticed a, per- a personality change. Uh, I saw focus in shoot arounds and in practices and just being around them. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard and it, and, and those things don't go away. Um, I was very concerned from a basketball only strictly standpoint, um, how they would respond. Cause you just didn't know this is not anything any of these guys uh, have dealt with before. Um, but you know, if you're grading them on how they've handled it, uh, on and off the court, I mean, a plus right now, just hope that continues. Brian, I think Nate Oates has handled this, uh, very delicate, difficult situation, just pitch perfect. Uh, in, in during the Missouri game, uh, according to, uh, actually Oates, uh, mentioned this in his post game presser that there was a Missouri fan who made a comment regarding what had happened. That fan was, uh, removed from the game. And uh, at least from the uh, broadcast on the SEC network, there didn't appear to be any response by the Alabama players. And, uh, and, and Coach Oates addressed the team on Friday regarding potential idiots uh, making light of the situation on social media and potentially making in-person remarks. Um, and, and, and I say all this as a long-winded preamble to ask you this. Who, who are the leaders, the player leaders on this team that are helping uh, maybe everyone else navigate through uh, this unprecedented situation? Well, I think the great thing about this team is, I mean, there there's several leaders, and it's not – age dependent. I mean, you know, I, I look at someone like Javon Quinterly, uh, who's taken some of these young guys under his wing and, and just, and helped them in so many ways, guys that he's competing for playing time with Noah Gurley has been great. Even some of the new guys with the way they care themselves, like Noah Clowney and Brandon Miller. Um, you know, the, these guys just have a maturity about them and they, they're a lot of them are just natural leaders, whether they're, 
older guys that are, you know, graduate students. Mark Sears has come in uh, and, and done a great job in that regard. But the thing that, that I like about this team as a whole is it, th- there's an unselfishness um, pr- among all these guys. They're concerned about the team. They want to win. Um, they want to play well. You know, they have individual, they have pride in what they're doing individually. Um, I know for a fact um, there's guys that would like to play more. Um, but when you have the depth that they have, I think they understand the bigger picture is this depth and maybe not playing quite as much as you want uh, is better for the team uh, and when you get your opportunity to make the most of it. So this is it, you know, depth like this is tricky uh, when you don't have buy-in from everyone uh, because it's hard to sit on the bench when you're a big-time player. Uh, I know what it's like to sit on the bench. I don't know what it's like to sit on the bench when I'm when you're a big-time player because I've never been a big-time player. But sitting on the bench is hard, but especially when you're an elite-level player, which all these guys on scholarship are. Uh, but I've been so impressed with their attitude with guys that, that you look over on the bench that you know would like to be out on the court in key situations that aren't sometimes uh, that are leading the bench and cheering and 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 helping their teammates and, and are as excited for their teammates as they are themselves. And that's a big reason for the success of this team right now. Brian, Alabama basketball will take on uh, Mississippi State this Wednesday. Could you just preview that matchup for us? Yeah, Mississippi State is – they're tough. They rebound. They defend. Chris Jans has been uh, a great addition to the SEC. Uh, and they were one of the surprises in the early season uh, in the non-conference. Uh, ranked in the top 25 coming into the season, they've, you know, they've they've been up and down in SEC play. But Tolu Smith, their 6'10", 6'11", 250 pound senior, is one of the best players in the SEC. Uh, Alabama did a great job on him defensively in the first game. And while the Missouri game was not a great game um, in terms of matchups for Charles Bediaco and Nick Pringle, this game will be more of a game for them where they will play key roles. Both of those guys. Uh, and so, um, you know, I think interior defense will be important in this game uh, against uh, Mississippi State. And Nick Pringle, I don't think played in the game uh, in Missouri. If he did, it was limited. He played a ton. It was, you know, maybe the player of the game uh, against Mississippi State in the first matchup. Uh, so uh, this is a, a very different team uh, than, than what Alabama played in their last game. But it's hard to beat a team twice. It's hard to beat a quality team twice. Alabama is the more talented team. Uh, they're they're the higher ranked team. They'll be at home. They've already beaten them. So um, that that this will be a game that you got to get ready to play and, and can't look to that first game where Alabama won like they have all their SEC games by double digits and take it for granted that you're going to win. You got to come to play. Mississippi State's a hard, tough playing team, uh, and Alabama has been that as well. If they do that, hopefully it'll be a good night for the home team Wednesday night. As always, Brian, thank you. I may see you uh, Wednesday night. I hope 15,000 other people are there along with me. Great (laughs) stuff, Brian. Always. Look forward to it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. You bet. Hey, uh, did y'all see Shannon Sharp make a total tool of himself? I did. But I also want to ask you about your 10-year anniversary. Oh, it was groovy, man. Have you heard that term? I just went back to 1973. (laughs) We'll be back on Big Noon Sports.
Covering SEC sports like kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Want to know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Download the Tide 100.9 app today. Has the pandemic affected your business? Even with more and more customers going online in the past five years, online business has grown greatly due to the pandemic. Now more than ever, it's important to have at least sunny during the day. Then tomorrow night, the weather becomes windy with rain moving in mainly after midnight. The daytime high 58. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 52 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big Noon Sports, the gang is here. Just talk briefly about this because it has made a lot of headlines, particularly in the NBA. Friday night's game, Lakers taking on Memphis. Side court to Shannon Sharp. He starts going at it, chipping, you know, chippiness with Dylan Brooks. Uh, He's yelling at him he's too small to guard LeBron. Brooks looked back at Sharp and said, uh, imagine this. Blank you. And then Sharp turned around and said, blank you back. He said, he started to come at me. And Sharp said, you don't want these problems. And then it escalated. Uh, John ja Morant came over. He He's about to become the face of the NBA, by the way. John ja Morant. just such a player. He's South so Carolina guy. From Murray. Yeah. Yep. From, uh, went to Murray State. Um, Something but then I guess just yep. Uh, in where is Sharp from? He's from the small town. One of Sharps went to South Carolina. He, yeah, my dad's actually, town, Georgia. My dad's really good friends with uh, his brother Sterling, but they're from a small town in Georgia. Uh, but uh, John Morant yeah. went. To, he's from Sumter, South Carolina, which is probably forty minutes from where I'm from. Oh, he is a boy. He's a talent. Special. Um. But then this just dad T came over, and you know it, it it escalated, and it never should. Well, also, so sharp, and he's telling he's recounting this to ESPN, uh, an ESPN reporter, and when Ja Morant started saying stuff, Sharp responded by saying, "You don't want these problems." Like you don't want me. Yeah, you don't and want then, some and of then, this. And then Ja's dad came over, and he said. That you definitely don't want no problems, and then Sharp said, "But I wanted anything they had. Don't let these fools fool you now." All right, my reaction is, this is the most self-centered individual I have come across in a long time. The game was not important to him. He was more important than a basketball game in which he was not participating. I know he apologized. You know, whatever. He's got a national platform. This guy should not be allowed to attend an NBA game for the rest of the year, maybe even longer. Wow. Pretty stiff punishment there from the NBA commissioner, I think Lars Anderson. Yeah, that's what I would do. I mean, this is just complete BS. I wouldn't go oh, that Oh, he was way yeah. out of bounds. Yeah, he, he, he was doing I don't doing, think I would punish him like that. I wouldn't do that. Yeah, I was about to say, I mean, if, if you've heard what other fans have 
probably said to these players, I, I agree he definitely was out of line um, for doing that. He probably shouldn't be um, you know, egging players on like that. And I get I get it. All these guys have egos. Look, you know, he's a former NFL player, Hall of Famer. Um, so he's gonna have an ego himself and when things start getting heated, you know, you wanna, you know, kinda buck up and that's pretty much what happened, but it seemed like they kinda all squashed it at the end. I saw a video of him and uh T Morant, John Morant's father talking afterwards and everything was fine, but my thing is, if you're going to be sitting courtside like that, you know, you shouldn't be antagonizing guys and, and, and you know, threatening guys like that. It's, it's kind of uncalled for, especially having the status that he has. And, uh, you know, him and yeah, show is that, arguably that, one of the, the greatest shows, sports shows uh, on TV right now. So that, the last thing he needs to be doing is getting in a physical altercation. You know, it's different if it was a little chippy, cool, but... I mean, they were acting like they were about to throw blows on the court. <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. Yeah, I mean, that's my thing. He's he's not a private citizen. He's a public figure, just like the three of us. We are public figures, and when we're out in public, you know what? We're <laughs> going to be held to a little bit of a higher standard right. than uh, Joe Blow, who doesn't have a microphone that we have. Every well, it's five a legal status. Uh, yes. If you're a public you know, yeah. a public figure, and then there's a public official, and, 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 which is like and, and a president. And that's why I've been sued yeah. multiple times for over millions of dollars. I know that, Lars. Can we do that show? Do whole show. I, uh, yeah, yeah we all, all, it, it, all of them have been tossed, right? But it, but nonetheless, uh, I had to have legal counsel, and it wow. was in uh, district court in Manhattan. Wow. Um uh, we'll do a segment on that tomorrow. It'll be sponsored yeah. by Alexander Shinar. Okay, that sounds good. Um, anyway, uh, I don't know who texted. It might have been Aiden, who's our producer over Tyson. Something about his sweater. Did y'all see the sweater uh, that Sharp was wearing? Yeah, did you, you want to know uh, how much it, it cost? Aiden was saying he wanted one until he saw the price of it. Guess, take a guess on how uh, much I that would guess for. that's a couple of grand, 2000 something like that. Is that too high? Lars? You have a guess? Uh, fifteen hundred. Fifty-eight hundred dollars. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you have a closet full of those, don't you, Christian? Absolutely you dapperly attired young man. Absolutely <laughs> not. No, I'm I'm balling on a budget. I'll, I'll put that money in the stock market before I go buy a sweater for six. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't I don't get it. Uh, and the thing about it is, you have to tell somebody. <laughs> Right. They're not just going to go, hey, that's worth $5,800. No, you've got to make sure and tell somebody. Mark us <laughs> up 142 points, by the way. Uh, do you need a sweater that thick in L.A.? I don't know. And it's, by the way, it's powder blue, like North Carolina blue, which he's from Savannah State, right? He played at Savannah State. Oh, anyway. I know. I can't, you know what I can't I'd say stand to Shannon? Grow, grow up. Grow up. Yeah. Grow up, Shannon. Uh, I, I do think this is his. Apology on his own show was very sincere, but Lars, he's out of there. He can't attend a high school basketball game now. <laughs> All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Experience a level of performance you've never seen in a tournament bass boat until now in your new Camus Bass Boat powered by Mercury from Boatworks in Northport.